What was Vietnamization, and how did the Army support this policy? How did the Army begin to withdraw forces out of Vietnam, and what was the impact on combat operations? What role did the Army play in the Cambodian incursion? For answers to these questions and more insights, stay tuned. Welcome to the U.S. Army History and Heritage Podcast, the official podcast of the United States Army Center of Military History. The Center of Military History writes and publishes the Army's official history, manages the U.S. Army Museum Enterprise, and provides historical support throughout the U.S. Army. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the United States Army History and Heritage Podcast. I'm Lee Reynolds, the Strategic Communications Officer for the Center of Military History. In this, our fourth episode of a five-part series, on the Vietnam War, we are discussing the Army activities in Vietnam from 1969 to 1970. Joining me again to lead us through this discussion is Vietnam War historian Dr. Eric B. Villard. Welcome back, Eric, and thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me again. So again, just looking back at your, your background, Dr. Villard is the digital military historian for the U.S. Army Center of Military History and one of the Army's leading Vietnam War historians. He wrote a volume in one of the U.S. Army Combat Operations in the Vietnam War series titled Staying the Course, October 1967 to September 1968, which was published in December of 2017. He's currently working on the next book in that series, covering October 1968 to December 1969. And outside of CMH, Dr. Villard is the founder of the Vietnam War History Foundation, a nonprofit organization that has over 44,000 Facebook members. Very impressive. He has also appeared as a historical advisor and analyst on many documentary projects, including to Ken Burns and Lynn Novick for their Vietnam War documentary series. Um, Eric, and anything I'm missing that you want to highlight? I think that covers the bases pretty well. Uh, again, always happy to talk about the Vietnam War, and this is a very interesting period that I think not as many people probably know about. Uh, so, so let's just jump right into it. Um, we're now looking at the U.S. Army activity in Vietnam starting in 1969. So just set the table for us. Uh, when, when we left this after the last episode, uh, the, um, what was the situation on the ground in 1968? And I know what General Westmoreland just left to become Army Chief of Staff, mm -hmm. and now we had General Creighton Abrams as the MACV commander. So just pick it up there. Right. So so Creighton Abrams is now, by June of 68, um, he's in command of MACV, although, again, really policy-wise, not a lot changes. Uh, Westy and Abrams um, really were a great partnership. They worked together for a year. They saw the war in a very similar way. And so if you're looking at the you know, end of 1968, the war has been going on at a very intense level. The main thing that's happening is the U.S. presidential election, mm -hmm. right? So you have, again, President Johnson has already announced he's not running. So it is his vice president, Hubert Humphrey, the Democrat, running against Richard Nixon, the Republican. And the communists in Hanoi are watching this very closely, you know, because depending on who gets elected— uh, it could make a difference in, in how the war is fought. What were they both promising in that campaign? In terms of actual specifics, uh, the, what it came down to was uh, Nixon 
because of his credentials as a really strong anti-communist hawk, and he had been vice president for Eisenhower, right, for eight years, he hinted that he would use stronger, tougher measures to bring an end to the war. Now, he didn't specify what those were, but he basically sort of said, I, I... in, in essence, I have a secret plan. Uh-huh. Um, I will be able to do this in a way that Johnson or Humphrey um, can't. And so that's that's what he's that that's the card he's playing. Mm-hmm. Now to sort of negate that, uh, President Johnson, you know, in his final months in office, he announces that there's going to be the end of Rolling Thunder. So this happens at the very beginning of November, a few days before the election. He says we are going to stop bombing. North Vietnam, or you know, the vast majority of it, as a goodwill gesture to spur diplomacy. So that's a major um, uh, change in the war. But in the end, Nixon wins. Right. The president. It's a close. It's a fairly close election, but Nixon um, definitely wins. So uh, he's president now. You know, January twentieth, uh, nineteen sixty nine. Right. Um, and what policies did he begin to implement? So uh, one of the First things he does is he calls for his advisors, including um, uh, Henry Kissinger, uh, who's a special advisor, would later be Secretary of State, to do a sweeping review of Vietnam policy. Right? What's happened over the last eight years? How did we get here? How do we get out? Because the fact is, Nixon doesn't really have a secret plan. <laughs> to get out of the war. I mean, yeah. he really he doesn't have a magic formula. Mm-hmm. He realizes he's kind of in a bind. I mean, the, the best thing he can hope for is 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 keeping the communists uh, scared enough of him yeah. that, that, that Nixon might do something that, Nick, that, that Johnson didn't. But the fact is he doesn't have a secret plan. So Kissinger was his secret plan. <laughs> well, well, I guess Kissinger was a secret plan. But, but so even as Nixon and his advisors are studying, like, what do we do? The communists... Ha- launch another phase of the general offensive. This is sometimes called Tet 69. Actually, it happens a few, few days after Tet. But the point is that it is weaker than all the phases that came before. Mm. However, and this is significant, one of the things the communists do is they s- start lobbing rockets into, into Saigon, mm. which is something they'd done earlier but had stopped doing for four or five months. This absolutely angers Nixon because when Johnson um, had the had this stop the bombing, one of the very few concessions he got from the communists was leave the cities alone. Oh. And now the communists are again lobbing rockets in in a Saigon. So this leads directly in the middle of March to Nixon, very secretly mm-hmm. with Abrams and his other folks. He says, "Let's begin a secret bombing campaign against Cambodia." Right, because there's a Viet Cong, North Vietnamese bases across the border that we've never been able to get to. Mm-hmm. So they begin what becomes known as Operation Menu. Um, part of the reason the first strike uh, ha- is a location called Breakfast, and that's because mm-hmm. Nixon was having breakfast at the White <laughs> House. So they called the target breakfast. Okay. And so it became lunch, dinner. Oh. At any rate, Operation Menu. So, so for the first time in the war— U.S. B-52s are actually bombing targets in Cambodia. Now, this is a secret. This is so secret that, the, oh, like, even on the airplanes, only the pilot and navigator know that they've crossed oh, into wow. Cambodian territory. Mm. 
So um, very, very close hold. But this is where that begins. Mm-hmm. And it's part of his frustration, again, that that the communists, even though peace talks have started in Paris, aren't budging. So this is where that begins. And it, again, it will go on for years. And the, the public gets rumors of it, but this is the th- main thing that happens. Nixon is looking for a way forward for the next you know three or four months. Again, more of the same. This is when Hamburger Hill happens, for example, okay. in May, in May of, of 1969. Um, so they're still fighting throughout the country. In, in this particular battle, this is up in i uh, you're talking about Hamburger Hill. Hamburger Hill, right. yeah, you know, the Battle of Hamburger mm-hmm. Hill. Because they're up near the, the border. Is it with Laos or Cambodia? Well, with, with, with Laos. With Laos. With Laos. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, and despite uh, what some people have written or some people thought, when Abrams takes over, he doesn't do a 180. He doesn't say, okay, we're just going to give up search and destroy operations. No, no. In fact, Abrams is constantly asking for permission to go into Laos, go into Cambodia, oh. to use force. So this battle that takes place in this remote valley in Icor, the Ashau Valley, over 10 or 11 days, and we're living through 10 March right. to uh, 21 March, is uh, elements of the 101st Airborne fighting a North Vietnamese regiment on this hill 937. And what was the importance, the significance of capturing the, the, that hill? The, the importance, the, the hill itself was not important, but the valley was. Mm. Uh, the Ashau Valley was the main logistical hub for the North Vietnamese and I-Corps. And in order for Nixon's policy to, to succeed, even at this stage, he's beginning to think about pulling back forces. You need to buy time for the South Vietnamese. So that's why this battle happened. If you can cut their supply lines, and by taking the hill, what they, the Americans end up doing basically is, is finish closing off the valley. So they do buy time for the South Vietnamese, but it's a costly battle. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's an absolutely brutal battle, and, and the Rockassans, the Third Battalion, One Eighty Seventh, um, particularly to ch- distinguish themselves. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, this is still a period of very heavy fighting because Nixon needs to buy time. Right, and it's interesting with that, with that battle. It's called Hamburger Hill. How did it get that nickname? Well, again, Hill Nine Three Seven is. Th- what it was first known because it's not 937 meters above sea level. Uh, the local name is Dongap Bia, but at the end of the battle, one of these paratroopers, American paratroopers, who you know who lived these horrific 11 days, took a sea ration uh, lid <laughs> and scrawled on it Hamburger Hill, and then <laughs> stuck it on, uh, with a knife on a on a piece of wood, and basically that was his sort of personal statement, this had been a meat grinder. Yeah. And so the name of Hamburger Hill stuff. Because the, the images that you see, the before and after, yeah. it's just completely torn up. It's, I mean, again, this it is, looks like ground beef. This yeah. is, this is, this is uh, again, this is an Iwo Jima World mm-hmm. War II style battle where the enemy is, you know, dug into tunnels and massive bombing and fighting uphill in monsoons. It was about as bad as it got. So that, you know, Hamburger Hill is an apt, is an apt name for it. So a- after that battle, then um, sometime soon after that, President Nixon announces his he does the next peace, month uh, his his road to peace, right. I guess. And and what was that? What was and his so plan? It, it, this is sort of the official announcement happens in in June of sixty nine, and the t- the the term that that he uses for it and that we tend to use is Vietnamization, mm-hmm. um, and he means by that 
a gradual process by with by which American combat forces pull out of South Vietnam uh, and hand over, you know, a lot of their equipment to the South Vietnamese. But this is a process that will take several years. It's not like mm-hmm. we're all just getting right. on a boat leaving tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, even at this point in the war, there's still widespread belief among the Americans and even South Vietnamese that if this is managed properly, again, it'll be another Korea. There will be a South Korea that yeah. will it'll be right. a South Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So that's what Vietnamization means. So in the second half of 69, the withdrawals are um, not massive, but you do pull out part of the U.S. 9th Infantry Division, and a 3rd uh, Marine Division goes home. So about 75,000 troops actually leave the country so by the end of the year. At the height, so before the withdrawals mm-hmm. began, yeah. what were the numbers of U.S. troops? U.S. MACV's peak strength uh, got close to 540,000 personnel. Uh, and this is this is early 1969 that mm-hmm. hit that peak strength. And did the announcement and the beginning of the withdrawals have any effect on the Paris peace talks? Part of the idea of withdrawal was in, was actually to uh, strengthen South Vietnam's hand at the talks by saying, "Look, the Americans have so much confidence in us that they're pulling their troops out." No, the the bottom line is no. It it didn't actually have an immediate effect, but um, it 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 did start to create some um, some friction because the South Vietnamese, as much as they, you know, again wanted the war to be over, were very unsure about mm-hmm. this process. They mm-hmm. weren't sure how quickly the Americans would leave, and if something bad happened, would we come back? Right. Oh, so yeah. there's the mm-hmm. even between Nixon and the South Vietnamese President Chu. There's the beginning of a little bit of distrust because American priorities are beginning to diverge from South Vietnamese priorities. So as the withdrawal began, how did this affect the types of missions or tactics that were taking place in the field for the Army? Yeah. So the initial units they pulled out were chosen partly with that in mind. So hmm. the ninth, the two brigades of the 9th Infantry Division that were pulled out, they were pulled out of the Mekong Delta, so the, the southern part of the country. Um, that was an area that um, was now more under South Vietnamese control. And so the feeling was, okay, that was an area we could afford. Mm-hmm. So right. part of that decision was that. And then the 3rd Marine Division, part of the reason they pulled them out is you have a bombing halt on the DMZ. So the, the demilitarized zone where the 3rd Marine Division was, was now fairly quiet. Mm. So the immediate impact was pretty small. I mean— Operations through end of 69 continue pretty much as they had before. Um, the real impact would come the following year. And the, and the point here is that it wasn't quite clear how quickly we were going to pull out. Um, theoretically, we're going to do it, again, over the space of three or four years. But Yeah, it was planned to be a phase. It was a phase pull thing. Out. And when they were leaving— what about their equipment? Are they leaving stuff well, in for the some, Vietnamese? In some or cases, um, uh, a whole unit, like an artillery unit, would literally hand over mm. all their equipment, um, which, which honestly, um, <laughs> the logistics, logistics people were like perfectly happy with that because <laughs> a lot of that's kind of beat up old equipment okay. and rather yeah. than not take it back. Mm-hmm. So yes, hand it over to the South Vietnamese. Um, there was also... Uh, in some cases, um, you know, handing over entire 
fire bases, landing zones, mm. and other encampments. Now, part of the issue, of course, is if you have like a U.S. brigade leaving a base, but a South Vietnamese battalion takes over, which is like, you know, a much smaller organization, then there's kind of the question of, well, can we defend this whole thing? But that, yes, turning over equipment is is part of um, this whole process. Um, our advisors are staying, though. Just keep yeah. that in mind. We're still advising. We're still giving them stuff. In fact, we're giving them more stuff. By this point, hmm. the South Vietnamese Army is entirely equipped with modern M16s, for example. Okay. And they're getting uh, more and more modern tanks, armored personnel carriers, jet fighters, you know, all the stuff that we had been accustomed to. Mm -hmm. So at the same time, the advisors are staying, mm -hmm. we continue to train them, we continue to arm them, because I think that was part of the point of the Vietnamization, right. was as we draw down, we hand the war over the equipment right. so that the South Vietnamese could... And again, in fairness, hopefully South, defend themselves. the South Vietnamese had always done most of the fighting in the war. They had always taken the most casualties. It was never that they were not fighting. The thing the South Vietnamese lacked, however... They lacked the capability to fight big unit conventional battles like we had. They were so spread out across the country because they're so they had to worry about all the, you know, village guerrillas and the pacification. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So that was the main thing that um, we were hoping they would be able to 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 learn before we left. Right. But again, it's it really is an open question. Here's the thing: once you start pulling American troops home. You, you you cannot close those those that barn door. Mm -hmm. The American public right. likes it. Mm -hmm. The anti-war protests go down. Sure. Right. American troops like it. Mm -hmm. But you really can't reverse that trend <laughs> once it gets going. Yeah. And 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 uh, and so, so how did that yeah. start? You know, throughout the rest of 1969. Right. Um, how many troops? I, had uh, withdrawn by the end of that year. Yeah. And were there any significant battles that were taking place? So the war actually begins to kind of quiet down in, in the second part of 69, um, partly because uh, the Americans, the South Vietnamese, had done such a good job beating up on the communists mm. the last year. The communists were really kind of in bad shape. Uh, the communists, now that the Americans were withdrawing, also changed strategy. Mm. Around, you know, June of 69, the, the communists gave up this whole general offensive idea, and now they're going to wait it out. Okay. So they, a lot of their big units go into hiding. Mm. So the war actually quiets down, and there isn't as much fighting in this period. Um, about 75,000 U.S. troops leave by the end of the year. Oh, wow. That's and a significant amount. A yeah. significant amount. Um, so when 1970 begins... Um, it looks like Vietnamization is more or less going according mm -hmm. to schedule. Uh, but again, there's always, you know, something that will throw a curveball. And that's exactly what happens in early 1970. And are you talking about the uh, Cambodia? Yeah, again. situation so, in Cambodia. So this, the, the traditional safe haven for the communist forces right. in Cambodia and Laos are mm -hmm. now being challenged. Right. So the situation in Cambodia... Uh, changes dramatically in, in, in March of 70. And who, who initiates that? Because I know that General Westmoreland, um, that was a, a, a big sticking point for him. He yeah. wanted to go after them there right. or, or sure. even further into North he, Vietnam. He, he had for a long time. He and, said his hands and then were Abrams, right. after him, was always asking for authority to go in limited incursions. 
the what happens is the the long serving head of Cambodia, Prince Sihanouk, uh, is out of the country. When he's out of the country, his defense minister overthrows the government. Mm. Now this Lan Nal, this defense minister, is much more pro Western. And uh, he is becoming very alarmed again with the amount of communists in the country. So there's now political upheaval in Cambodia. And as a result of that, Nixon sees an opportunity. Now you have a friendly leader in Cambodia who says, could you please help us get rid of all these yeah. Vietnamese communists who are on our border? And are these bombing, um, uh, secret bombings in Cambodia still bom- taking place? It's still taking place. Again, um, still secret from the public. Mm-hmm. Um, they're hitting some of these base areas, but again, they're just right across the border. So unless you were actually there, and there, you know, there's really no civilian, not many civilians out there, you wouldn't have known it. This is different. This is going to be a month-long major military incursion into Cambodia at from the Mekong Delta up through the Central Highlands. Mm-hmm. It's oh, going wow. to be the South Vietnamese and the Americans. Full division. This is the whole border. This is yeah, it, multiple multiple um, points of entry. Mm-hmm. And again, it is a limited incursion in the sense that it's, Americans have to be out in a month. They can only go into a certain depth. Did the South Vietnamese go in too, or is this American? Yeah, South Vietnamese went in. Okay. In fact, South Vietnamese went in first, and they actually stayed longer. Okay. And when Americans are out by the end of June, South Vietnamese actually stay longer. But this is actually an opportunity for the South Vietnamese to show what they can do mm-hmm. as conventional forces. And they actually quit themselves pretty well. So what was the what was the goal of these missions, and which army units participated in this? So the goal of the mission was to get these Viet Cong North Vietnamese supply sanctuaries that had been there for years and years, and they're just piled to the rafters with supplies, uh, weapons, you know, trucks, you name it. Um, it, it. It's all right there. So the Americans and the South Vietnamese who went in are going in to get this stuff. Uh, in, in three corps around Saigon, for example, you have the 1st Cavalry Division, you know, you have the 11th Armored Cavalry Division, up the Highlands, you have the 4th Infantry Division. A lot of different units are, are are going across, and they are finding, I mean, some of the American soldiers that I've spoken to, they said when they come in these depots, I mean, their jaws are almost hitting the wow. floor, the amount of stuff huh. that's there. So they do find a lot of equipment. The North Vietnamese pretty much don't resist because... They figure there's overwhelming force. They just retreat deeper into Cambodia. But in the short term, it actually does achieve that objective. The problem is it reignites the anti-war movement back in the United States, right? Because Nixon had been saying, we're pulling troops out. We're winding down. The fighting is diminishing. And all of a sudden, wait a minute, we're going to Cambodia? What yeah. is happening? Mm-hmm. And this. Oh, so they're, uh, yeah. So they're thinking we're expanding the war now. Right. Geographically, at least. And what was the Cambi- Cambodian role in this? Was it just like, okay, guys, do what you want. We won't interfere? The, or did they assist the, in this? The way? rightist in the government uh, basically gave permission for. The Americans in the South Vietnamese do that. The Cambodian army itself was was small and not very effective. That's why they had not done anything about the communists. So they kind of sat back um, and let the Americans do what they're going to do. Um, so the Cambodians, the government has a very small role. This is, this is an allied operation. Mm-hmm. 
uh, again, that lasts about a month, um, but it does reawaken the anti-war movement. You've probably seen one of the more famous photos of the war, the Kent State protests. Oh, of course. Right, yeah. the National mm-hmm. Guards come in and end up opening fire on protesting students. Mm-hmm. And this is all because of the Cambodian incursion. <clears throat> yeah, one of the, the, the dark, another dark day mm-hmm. uh, during that time period. And was it that was the National Guard that yep. opened fired yep. on uh, and and what happened uh, there? Well, they they opened fired on on, on uh, students at Kent State, um, killing and wounding several. And the, the very famous film of, of photos of of a uh, young female student uh, crouching down, you know, with mm. sort of mouth screaming over a a dead student. Right. So here you have. Um, again, another example of, of just these, the war coming, coming home, coming home and causing yeah. these divisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, what was the effect of, a- after the Cambodian incursion, what was the effect on the overall war and the strategy? How, how- so Cambodia, the Cam- Cambodian incursion, you might say was kind of the, that was the last hurrah of big U S combat operations. Yeah. Right. That was, so that was the best. So after Cambodia, a lot of those uh, big U.S. divisions end up coming home. So like the first— So the withdrawal continues. Yeah, the 1st Infantry Division comes home and and other units. Some stay, like the 1st Cavalry stays, the 173rd stays, the Americal stays. But but by the autumn of 1970, the U.S. has pretty much gotten out of the game of— big offensive operations. Oh, wow. And they are f- totally focused on trying to get the South Vietnamese up to speed. And what what are the North Vietnamese and Viet Cong doing during this time period? This is actually their darkest hour. And if you read their histories, 60, uh, 69 and into 70, this is their lowest point because um, things like the Phoenix program. Right. Uh, you want to talk about that? And I'll just uh, yeah, at least in passing. Um it was not a CIA assassination <laughs> program. Uh, Phoenix program, just think of it as uh, a, 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 a South Vietnamese effort to identify and um, remove f- from the battlefield all these secret Viet Cong agents mm. who were running the shadow government. And so a lot of it was just police work, basically. Okay. Now, okay, in some cases, yes, they probably arrested and killed the wrong people. Um, but from the communists' own histories, they said this absolutely devastated wow. their infrastructure. So, and, and did uh, uh, the United States and the South Vietnamese realize how effective that they program were beginning, was? They, yeah, they, they, they were getting it a sense that mm. this, this was working. Again, this is not mostly... Um, again, the CIA were, were only uh, tangentially involved. It was mostly army advisors working with, you know, South Vietnamese. But yes, we, we, we did understand this was putting the pinch on them. So they were, since their guerrilla movement was drying up. Mm-hmm. And this meant in, in, in Hanoi, and this would have implications for our next episode, knowing that mm-hmm. um, they, they, they changed their strategy again and they decided, okay, we're not going to win a— it, we will not conquer the country through guerrilla forces. Yeah, we're going to have to build up a conventional force and actually take the country in a blitz. So now straight. they know America is. is they know America on know the way out, yet, right? Right. But um, so they're going to wait them out. They're going to wait them out. Yeah. And but in keep, the mean, but keep the pressure on. But at keep the, same the time. pressure, and in the meantime, build up the capacity mm-hmm. so that they can basically launch a conventional blitzkrieg of South Vietnam. 
So now, uh, through the end of 1970, uh, any any changes to that, or is this just kind of ongoing? This is this is this is, this is just um, you know it, it is moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, that is you know uh, the communists. That is this sort of longer term strategy. So they know in 18 months or two years they'll be ready. Mm-hmm. The Americans okay. by that point should be out. Right. Um, hopefully, the Southeast will be will be ready. Hard to say. But part of the problem with this Vietnamization, of course, is is the effect it has on the American soldiers, because you know by sixty nine and seventy, um, once it's clear we're leaving, that begins to affect morale, right? I mean, who wants to be the last person killed in Vietnam for war? We're clearly not going to win. Um, the army is also beginning to feel the effects of the Cultural Revolution, the Civil Rights Movement, racial tension. Uh, is growing. Drug use mm-hmm. is increasing. Um, there are some incidents of disobedience and even uh, incidents they call fragging, mm-hmm. where usually what that means is um, disgruntled soldiers will 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 roll a a smoke grenade into an officer's tent. Mm-hmm. In some cases, it's literally a fragmentation. Yeah, grenade. yeah fragmentation. I mean, normally they don't right. try to kill him, but they're basically a warning, like, uh-huh. "Hey, lifer, right. uh, don't try to make your career, you know, at my expense." So there are some some morale and discipline problems beginning to happen. It's it's interesting, you know. They they know we're, we're pulling out. Maybe they don't realize, you know, they still may have to stay there twelve months, right? Uh, but eventually coming out. So it's interesting to see that um, it, it's having more of a negative impact on on morale. Right. Is that, is that overall what you're describing, I mean, yes. or was there a positive uh, aspect um, as well? I mean, you know, it's positive in the sense, uh, you know, people could imagine a time when they would come home. Mm-hmm. Um, I should also point out that most of these incidents that happened, um, like the racial tension and, and, and indiscipline, were in rear rear units, not, not frontline units. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're out there in the field, you need to trust Mm-hmm. Your fellow soldiers, yeah, right. So, so, point. so they mm-hmm. actually were continuing to function pretty well. But on top of everything, and all this, this, this is in late '69 when the Milai massacre hits mm. the public. Yeah, Seymour Hersh, investigative journalist, you know, um, publishes a story and it's you know catches fire. And this is when most Americans learn. Yeah, because the uh, the actual incident happened back in March, March of '68. Yeah, right. So now we're. Year and a half later, they're yeah. finding out about this. Right, graphic pictures, yeah. you know, uh, very uh, precise reporting. Um, so, how did that impact uh, operations in Vietnam? We'll talk about right. the impact on the American people, but yeah. in Vietnam, were there immediate changes that we saw? Um, actually, actually, no. Uh, the, the main thing that happens is that the army. Well, two things. One, the army launches an actual serious full inquiry led by uh, General Pierce. So the report is called the Pierce Inquiry that really gets to the bottom of things. And, and, and unlike the Americal Division initial investigation, which was a sham, this was serious. Uh, they want to hold people accountable. But the other thing that happens is the Army spends a lot of time talking to its own soldiers and em- emphasizing why this is not acceptable, right? Mm-hmm. right? Rules of engagement, um, cards and how you treat not only POWs, but detainees or mm-hmm. just average right. Vietnamese. Operationally, no, it doesn't change how we function, but there's a sudden real emphasis mm-hmm. on, 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 you know, 
ethics, right. you know, professional yeah. um, conduct and standards. And, and I think that's a point moving forward, you yeah. know, uh, years later to mm-hmm. up until the present. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I mean, in some sense, I think a lot of people feel that, that you know, a lot of the perpetrators of the massacre really kind of got off. I mean, at the end of the day, you only had a couple of people like Lieutenant Callie, you know, who, who were brought up in charges. But, but, but a lot of folks essentially just sort of got a slap on the wrist because there wasn't enough evidence or, or whatever. But the fact is, everyone knew how bad it was. And so nowadays in the Army, you know, we see the effects. This is why you have, um, you know, again, um, judge advocate generals, you know, embedded at all operational levels and reminding people, this is, we, we are the American Army. We, we are not barbarians. We do things differently. Yeah, uh, great emphasis uh, going into combat, and I can tell you, for, as a combat veteran, yeah. great emphasis on ethics and rules of engagement. Right, and uh, a lot of this is—I mean, some of that stuff existed beforehand, right? But it exists, I think, to the capacity it does now, in large part because of what happened there. So yeah. the and, army learned its lesson oh, and, yeah. and um, made changes. And I would say uh, again, shout out to uh, our own people here. You know, a few years ago, we put on. A symposium, yeah, uh, um, all led, about yeah. you know the Milai massacre. Again, this was, and you know, Mr. Bowery, our executive director, he's the one who said, "Let's do this." Yes, mm-hmm. and so if you you can find it online, um, but it's it's a really fascinating. But taking discussion. that dark day yep. and um, uh, being open and honest about right. what happened, yep. uh, and understanding you know, how we learned from that and how we improved ourselves right. and, and moved on, and and that's something that. I think the army does fairly well in general with, uh, mm-hmm. uh, so, all right, good. And then just, just to finish up on, mm-hmm. on that, uh, the impact in America, how did that change the way Americans were, were perceiving things? Well, certainly the, you know, the Milai massacre was, was, was shocking. And again, some of the worst details, in fact, were not publicized. Mm-hmm. It could have been even worse, but I think at this point, um, you know, most Americans were just, Tired of the war, uh, aware of the you know the mounting costs, um, wanting just wanted it to be over, and so when this thing happened, I, one of the things I think it it, it did was again it just it really sharpened those divisions. Mm-hmm. So many people, especially like you know they say one of the sayings was you never trust anyone over thirty. Yeah, right. So there's like this youth culture, this youth mm-hmm. like they, they, all the establishment people, all these old white men, they're all liars. Mm. The military lies. You can't trust anyone, and so I think at home, you, you know, there's a there's a sort of a more militant, right. um, uh, you know, angle to the anti-war mm-hmm. movement. And some people, in fact, are 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 beginning to think of you know using violence themselves yeah. to try to stop the war. Um, and then uh, I just want to get back to something you mentioned yeah. earlier. We we talked a little bit about uh, the morale and mm-hmm. some of the challenges that we're having. Um, so what did the army do to help mitigate the morale issues? It, uh, it, it tried, uh, a, a number of things. And again, it's sort of like, let's try this and see what happens. Um, they would include things like, um, rap sessions. So they would, you know, get soldiers together, mm-hmm. you know, black soldiers, white soldiers mm. in a sort of uh, controlled environment and, and have a discussion like, okay, so mm. why is it that, that you, because in a lot of areas, they would self-segregate. 
Right. You know, the black soldiers would live in one place. And so, and so part of it is, is that, um, part of it is, you know, they saw this as also being very much part of the drug problem. Right. So they really cracked down on drugs. So like, for example, any American soldier who, who went on, on vacation or they got the full search. I mean, and especially places like Australia, which did not want drugs. Oh, okay. Um, you got in big, big, big trouble um, if you were found with drugs. So they, they, they cracked down on drugs. But the fact is that the Army doesn't quite know mm. how to solve this thing. They investigate. Um, you know, if his allegations, other allegations of, of atrocities, um, and you know, the army follows up, but the fact is this is a problem that they will spend years on. Yeah. Right. All right. And then, I, I mean, you still see some things uh, yeah. today. Yeah. So yeah. that is a, just a, a lingering, um, human issue. I think it's not just, uh, just yeah, in, in, and, in the military, but it's, a um, part of society yeah absolutely we're always trying to improve on and one last thing about morale um i just think it's worthy to touch on um in our overall discussion about vietnam is some of the things that were done for morale some of the entertainment oh you know, yeah you had the um um armed surface vietnam network oh uh, yeah 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 and, and uh, absolutely and entertainers who came and mm -hmm. and uh can you talk about the impact of, of those on morale yeah and 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 i i would say almost without exception you talk to a vietnam veteran and there's a few things that bring a smile to their face so you know they love the armed forces radio network you know they 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 Good morning, Vietnam. Good morning, Vietnam. Yeah. Uh, Chris Noel, who yeah. you and I, you know her particularly well. Um, I mean, she's she's sort of a living saint. Um, mm -hmm. This is she was the quote unquote weather girl, but she was a DJ. But more importantly, she went out in the field. Yeah, in her skirt, in her mini in her skirt mini and skirt boots. and her yeah. boots. I mean, to the most remote fire bases. You know, she she had had a career in Hollywood. She was an entertainer. Um, this was a you know a person who very easily could have stayed back in Southern California, but said, you know, no, I want to be out there with the troops. And so there's one quote uh, about her from, from a soldier that I read that said that um, she got me through Vietnam. Mm -hmm. me, you know, yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. It's just amazing. Yeah. And, 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 and of course you had all these USO entertainers, mm -hmm. obviously the Bob Hope sure. show would, would, would come around, but you had just lots and lots of folks and, and, and not necessarily famous folks, but you know, yeah. you know, uh, people who, who could, you know, they had their own little band, and they said, right. uh, they raised their hand, said, yeah, I want to go over there. And uh, mm -hmm. so, Because not everybody in America at this point was a, no. was, was against, the, uh, maybe not against the war, but right. wanted to support the troops right. and realized and I, yes. these are our sons and uh, and daughters, right. uh, our brothers and sisters that are over there. Absolutely. And I think there's, and you know, the entertainers, I think, were very good represent, representation of that. Mm -hmm. I think it, personally, their feelings mm -hmm. were, they were, you would probably say anti-war, but they were right. pro-soldier. Right. And that's one of the things I think uh, uh, Chris Noel and some others who went over yeah. there said, how can you support the war? I said, I'm supporting uh, our troops. Right. You know, that's uh, that's the thing. And some of them paid a, a price for that. Yeah. They lost their, uh, some lost their careers yep. or their yep. careers were negatively affected because of that. Yeah. And I said one of the, 
Um, and you, you know, you had some 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 big names too. And this is uh, this is you know later in the war. But one of my some of the famous photos is when Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> went up and with with the calf, and he's mm-hmm. got the calf patch and that smile on his face. But I mean, it, you can yep. you can feel you know he's like right. vibing, mm-hmm. uh, especially with you know a lot of the black soldiers there. I mean, so right. you know, I it, again, there's a whole there's a whole. St- story of Vietnam on, on these things alone. And, and people should never forget that there's a lot of folks who, who support it in their own way. Exactly. Well, good. Well, I think that closes out our discussion here today, but as usual, looking for some who trivia. Oh, from, trivia from the 1969, 1970 uh, time period. You know, this is, this is uh, where we just uh, bring up a piece of, of trivia about that time period that uh, I mean, you know, may wow people or, or, or just, uh, you know, Something interesting about that time period that people may not really understand or know. Yeah, interesting about the time period. I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I guess I kind of gravitate uh, back to, you know, the entertainers in the USO. But let me just mention um, something that I've been working on recently people may not know about. There was this um, system called MARS. Uh, the M-A-R-S? Mil- M-A-R-S. M-A-R-S. Mm-hmm. Military Auxiliary relay system okay it still exists actually what was it this is a program where if you were in vietnam you could go to one of these mars stations it was a signal core facility Mm -hmm. and get on the phone and then that person the operator would would bounce a signal you know across the world through ham radio so you had ham radio operators all around the u.s Mm -hmm. that would act as the phone on the other end, so people oh. could actually talk to their families through ham radio. Oh, yeah. See, I mean, that's it's like awesome trivia. That, I did yeah. not know that anything about that. And again, wow. the, the Army Mara system still exists. Mm-hmm. How fascinating it is. So, yeah. All right. Well, great. I think that's a that's a good piece of Hua trivia. Yeah. So, thanks, Eric. Uh, uh, again, uh, for your discussion and insights today about the Vietnam War. And if anyone wants to learn more about the Vietnam War or Army history in general. Please explore our website at history.army.mil, and you can also access all of our publications about Vietnam from the website. They're also available as free PDF downloads, or you can purchase them from the government publishing office. And if you want to experience tidbits of Army history every day, then visit our social media sites on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And join us every week on this podcast for more in-depth discussions about Army history as we cover topics from all eras of the U.S. Army history, examining battles, soldier experiences, equipment, weapons, and tactics. And uh, we have one more episode covering the, uh, the last few years of the Vietnam War, so be sure you check us out for episode five of this five-part series on the Vietnam War. Thanks for joining us today on the United States Army History and Heritage Podcast. For the Center of Military History, I'm Lee Reynolds, and until next time, we're history. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or opinions of the U.S. Army or Department of Defense. For more information about the Army's proud history and heritage, go to history.army.mil.com.